Good morning. <clears throat> Somebody up here was making faces at me. <clears throat> Excuse me. You guys doing well? Yes. Good to have you with us. Welcome to Desert Breeze Community Church. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Galatians. We are wrapping up this series this morning. Galatians chapter 6, we'll be looking once again at verses 11 through 18. This is our freedom teaching series. For freedom Christ has set us free. Gospel boasting. Take a look at your sermon notes also. You can follow along. Here we go. The cross is the symbol of the Christian faith, the crux of human history, and a stunning revelation of the love and justice of God giving to us a life most people only dream about. I'm convinced of that. And take a look at this uh, quote from John Stott. This is what he says, the cross is the blazing fire at which the flame of our love is kindled, but we have to get near enough for its sparks to fall on us. And that's what we're going to do this morning. Would you bow your heads with me before we uh, take a look at this text and unpack these notes? Let's pray. <clears throat> we're going to talk about the cross this morning. Let's pray. Father God, thank you. Thank you for loving us so much that you sent your only son to this earth to rescue, redeem, reconcile us back to you. Our words are inadequate to fully express our love and gratitude to you. Your majesty is unparalleled. Your beauty is unsurpassed. Your wisdom unmeasured. Your goodness unimaginable. Your steadfast love unchanging. Your greatness unsearchable. We consider it the greatest end of our existence to be numbered among those who boast in the cross, the blazing fire at which the flame of our love for you is kindled. So may, may we be near the cross this, more, this morning, near enough through the study of your word and the work of your Holy Spirit for the sparks of the blazing fire of the cross to fall on us, giving us greater passion for you more than anything else we pray in Jesus' name. And everyone said... Amen. Take a look at this text. So we wrap up this uh, series through the book of Galatians right here, starting at verse 11, chapter 6. I will not comment on any of these. I'll just work right through it. And we're going to focus primarily on, on verse 14. I'll have, that, have you guys read that with me and together when we get to that point. Starting in verse 11, chapter 6. See with what large letters I'm writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. Let's read verse 14 together aloud. You guys ready? Oh, okay. You guys were thinking about reading, weren't you? You didn't want to respond to me right there. Okay, here we go. One, two, three. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. That's... Did I, did I read it wrong? Is it different up here? It's a different version? Okay, everybody turn around and look at the people in the booth right now. Okay. He's going to change it for the next service. Okay. Nothing like blame shifting, huh? First thing in the morning. Not my fault. That's a wonderful verse. 
That's an absolutely wonderful verse. It's, it's, it's an astounding verse. If you let that verse and the truth of that verse get a hold of your life, you will never, ever, ever be the same. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. Let me continue reading verse 15. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as far as, and as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. This is the word of the Lord to us this morning. You see the, the outline here. Why is understanding the cross so important? That's the first uh, question we're going to answer. Then next, how do you know you understand the cross? How do you actually know you understand the cross? And then once you understand the cross, how does it transform it has power to transform our lives unlike anything else on this planet. So first of all, why is understanding the cross so important? So as we come to the end of the book of Galatians, there's, there's almost, it's almost like Paul's saying, hey, one thing Paul wants his readers to know as a summary of what he has been saying, and it's this, the cross, verse 14. It's like he's been... Uh, dictating this letter to a scribe. He's writing it down. Now he says he takes a hold of the pen and as you can see in verse 11, he says, see with what large letters I'm writing. So he's beginning to write this himself and then he says, oh, and if I were to summarize this whole book, this is what it's about. It's about the cross. May I never boast except in the cross of Jesus Christ to whom the world is crucified to me and I to the world. That's what he's saying here. And what's interesting, so we're gonna take that verse and kind of break it down little by little. So verse 14, the first part of that, he says, but far be it from me. This is an incredibly and intensively strong negative. What he says is, I absolutely, under no circumstances, ever, 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 will do anything but this. Only one thing is necessary. Nothing else comes close, is what he's saying here. Now notice he didn't say, but far be it from me that I would boast only in the Ten Commandments or the Sermon on the Mount, or the Golden Rule. No, he doesn't say that. He says, no, only in the cross of Christ. When he wrote his letter to the church in Corinth, which was a pretty heavy-duty letter because he corrects them on a lot of different issues and things, and it's kind of a church gone wild a bit, and he's trying to bring them back in alignment with God's truth. And in that, chapter 2, verse 2, 1 Corinthians, he says, For I, I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Now, here's your first fill in the blank. What matters most is not so much what Jesus told us to do, but what Jesus came to do. Not what he told us to do, and that's important, but it's more important that we understand what he came to do. How many remember a few years ago, uh, WWJD, what did that stand for? You guys remember that? How many remember that? Show of hands. You might not be old enough to remember that. How many years ago was that? Is it a decade or so more? A couple decades? Okay, so it wasn't that, that long ago. So maybe you are old enough to know that. But, uh, but yeah, what would Jesus do? That was a big thing. But what's fascinating about that, uh, and there was, there was bracelets and bumper stickers, and, and that's a good saying, but the problem is, is that it's only when your heart is... When your heart is smitten, when your heart is captivated, when your heart is overtaken by what has Jesus done, you can then safely ask the question, what would Jesus do? Otherwise, it becomes religion. 
It's not until you're, you're swept away by the beauty of what Christ has done, then you can respond by saying, okay, what would Jesus do? Because then you're going to be empowered by his indwelling presence, and you're going to begin to do it for the right reason. You're going to do it to try to earn blessing. You have all the blessing in the world through Jesus, through what Jesus has done. And that's important to keep in mind. Next point. So what did Jesus come to do? The main thing that Jesus came to do was to die. You guys remember in Matthew 16 when Jesus comes to his disciples and says, who do people say that I am? And then they kind of go through a whole list of different things as we see even in our culture today. And then he turns to them and he says, well, who do you say I am? And this is one of the few times that Peter kind of uh, opens his mouth and actually says something quite profound. And... Uh, and uh, without sticking his foot in his mouth. And, but, but then shortly after that, he does stick his foot in his mouth. But he says, uh, you are the son of, of God. You are the, the Messiah. I mean, he makes really a pro profound pronouncement. Of course, Jesus says, upon this rock, I will build my church. And the rock he's talking about is that pronouncement, those who proclaim that Jesus is Lord and Savior, uh, God in the flesh, come to uh, rescue us and reconcile us to the Father. So he's saying, that's what I'm going to build my church on. It's going to ultimately be built on Jesus Christ, upon our profession of faith upon Christ. And then shortly after that, he begins to talk about, Jesus talks to his disciples about how he must die. You guys remember the story? He's going to die, and then what, is, what does Peter say? Oh, no, no. No, you're, you're not supposed to do that. You're not going to do that. And then Jesus responds to him by saying what? Anybody? Get behind me, Satan. Oh. And what's interesting about those two statements, the first uh, statement, when he proclaimed uh, Christ as Messiah, as Savior, he says, uh, Peter, you didn't come up with that on your own, okay? Not, not to say that he's not smart enough, but uh, he really isn't. But but to say that it was the work of God in you, but then he turns, and the very words that he speaks, it's almost like he's saying, that's inspired of Satan. I think from this Matthew 16, what he's saying here is that you are in the grip of Satan if you do not see the main thing Jesus came to do was to die. You can go to churches here in the valley and they will not acknowledge that as being the most important topic. It's more about what Jesus did. He was a great example. We need to follow his example. He's very sacrificial in his love and all these other things. And they, they would uh, deny uh, the crucifixion of Christ and his resurrection. And Jesus would say, what? That's, you're in the grip of Satan if you deny this. If you don't acknowledge this. What's interesting is that when you look at the, how many gospels are there? Yell it out to me. Four. Four. And they're not very good biographies of Jesus, to be quite honest with you. Because what's interesting is that they don't deal with a lot of his early life in the earlier days. Good biography will take you throughout the whole life. doesn't spend much time. In fact, what's fascinating about these biographies is that most of those are all, they all talk about and spend most of their time where? On that last week. Most of the emphasis is placed upon that last week before he goes to the cross and, of course, his resurrection. Every one of the Gospels accounts is predominantly about Jesus' last week to cross. This is what Jesus said in Luke 10, 45. I did not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. Next point on your notes. This is what you need to understand not only to become a Christian, but also to, go, to grow as a Christian. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9 talk about what it means to become a Christian. It's by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. 
Christ. And then Second uh, Peter 3.18 says, Grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The gospel is more than our ticket to heaven. It is an entirely new basis and source for how we are to live out every detail of our lives. The gospel is not the ABCs. And then you move on to something much deeper, bigger. It's the A to Z. We talked about it throughout this series. It's the A to Z of the Christian faith. We talked about living out the gospel in part number five. You can download that and listen to it. I would encourage you to do that. But how do you, how do you apply it to the specific areas of your life? But it's not enough to simply know that God loves you freely in Christ. It's more than that. You must actually experience that love in your heart and apply it to every area of your life. And that's where we kind of, we don't do well. And what we have to ask ourselves is, how would, if, if my heart is so filled up with this, this incredible love, if my heart is smitten by the beauty and the glory of Christ and what he's done for me, how will that change my, my marriage or my parenting or my work or my play or my singleness or my finances or my sexuality? It's going to make all the difference in the world in each of those areas of your life. If you really believe, I mean, think about some of your, maybe you're, you're facing some struggles right now. I find it interesting this time of the year, man, we, do, we take a lot of hits. It seems like we do a lot of funerals and a lot of people not doing well. So let me ask you, what would the difference be in your life if you really believe that the creator of the universe loved you so much he gave his life for you? And you begin to walk through the implications in your own life and heart. And you begin to apply it specifically to where your heart is most restless, even this morning. What are you struggling with? What's your greatest worry? What's your greatest anxiety? What's your greatest thing that makes you angry? You're really angry right now. See, if you're experiencing inordinate anxiety, anger, depression, could be you're not applying this truth specific to the specific areas of your life. Now, how do you know you understand the cross? So that's, uh, that's the importance of it. So why is understanding the cross so important? It's, it's absolutely the most important thing we can know. But how do you know that you understand the cross? Verse 14, once again, second part, part B, he says, to boast, man, may I, in fact, let me repeat what he, what he said, but far be it from me, that's the first part, here's the second part, to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. This, this means to, what does it mean to boast? It means to joyfully celebrate that I am totally and completely saved by Christ's works, not my works. That's what it means. I'm boasting in the cross because that's the finished work of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> The more you begin to understand that salvation by grace, that your salvation is by grace and not your efforts, the more there's going to be an inner dynamic of indescribable and indestructible joy that, that begins to build up within your heart that empowers the greatest efforts of all. When you realize you're saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, not your efforts, there's an indestructible and indescribable joy that begins to grow within your heart that will, will make your efforts even more so God-glorifying. I mean, think about the implications of the fact that when Jesus was on the cross, he said, it is finished. What is that? What does that mean? Paid in full. Our sin debt to the creator. 
paid in full. What are the implications of that? Think about that. Just for a moment, I'll turn to the person next to you and see if they know of, what are the implications of, of our debt being paid in full? Real quick, do that. Okay, you didn't know that I was going to make you have to think here, huh? Some of you, you guys are pretty quiet. I know we're getting close to Christmas, probably wrung out a bit, but listen, you need to think through those implications daily, the implications of the cross and what that provides for us. Here's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking like, hey, how about forgiveness? Forgiveness of sins, anybody say that? Okay, like two of us, three of us in here. That's like a big one. Okay, more than, more than that. Okay, all the way in the back. Oh, you guys did? Okay, excellent. Right on. Okay, there's six of us here. I mean, forgiveness. No guilt, no shame. New identity. He brings me into his family. I'm his child. He's lavished his love upon me. He's empowered me with his presence. I have his, his presence within me. I'm headed to heaven, by the way. You know that. So I'm kind of looking forward to that one. Man, I, I can hardly wait. I get glimpses here, little by little. I get a sense of his presence from time to time that I get a little taste of that. Oh my goodness. Once you've tasted of his love, his goodness, you're ruined for anything else. I mean, so when you begin to walk through these implications and you begin to think about them, they're going to invigorate and animate your daily life. It's going to make a difference in your life. Oh my goodness. But you've got to think through. You've got to think through the implications. What does that mean? How does that apply to my life? Yes, that's mine right now. Paid in full. Access to the throne room of God. Not based on my efforts, based on Jesus' efforts. He's already accomplished it for me. And so you begin to experience this, this inheritance that's just absolutely breathtaking. But, but to get there, you've got to wrestle with the offensiveness of the cross. Next point on your notes, here's your fill in the blank. So how do you know you understand the cross? You have wrestled with and felt the offensiveness of the cross. You see, the false teachers were teaching, believe, obey, and you're saved. Believe, obey, and you're saved. Ceremonial laws, you gotta do that, and then you're saved, God will accept you. Paul said, no, time out, that's not true. It's believe, you're saved, and then you'll obey. It begins to change your life in an amazing way. And, and the reason why your life isn't changed as much as it should be because you're, you're struggling with really believing what he's already accomplished for you on the cross. So you gotta go back to that. You gotta go back to your identity. Keep going back to, to who you are in Christ. But it always begins with wrestling. You have wrestled with and felt the offensiveness of the cross. If you haven't been offended by it, you haven't understood it and therefore won't be changed by it. Chap, uh, verse 12 of our text, if you have your Bible still open, notice that the false teachers were preaching a works righteousness so that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. Did you notice the language he uses there? Persecuted for the cross of Christ? Yeah, there's persecution. When you proclaim Christ, there's going to be persecution because it's offensive. Galatians 5.11, we talked about that. You can go back there. He, Paul talks about the offense of the, of the cross. In Matthew 11, remember when John the Baptist, uh, kind of early on, he was the forerunner of Jesus, and he said, he is the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of the world, and he pointed all of his disciples to, to Jesus, and then uh, 
He's taken to prison. He's about to lose his head. Do you guys remember what's going on in his heart? Some doubt. He's struggling. So he sends messengers to Jesus to say, hey, are you the one we're supposed to be looking for? You know, which is, which is I, I love, because we all struggle with doubt, don't we? Here's the forerunner of Jesus, and his whole ministry has been pointing to Jesus, and now he's in prison, about ready to lose his head. He's going, okay, I, I just want to make sure. <laughs> I, I, I want to make sure that you're the right one. I've spent my whole life pointing to you, but now, you know, when push comes to shove, and Jesus sends back to him, says, absolutely, no doubt about it. And Jesus says something there in Matthew eleven six. Blessed is the one who takes no offense in me. In other words, blessed is the one who has felt the offense of the cross, but hasn't taken the offense of the cross. And, and, and of course, at that time when uh, John the Baptist realized that more so, he said, okay, I'm ready. I'm ready to go. Whatever he wants for me. I'm going to die to myself because he died for me or that's what he's going to do for me. He, he loves me. He's the Messiah. He's the one that came to rescue me. 1 Corinthians 1.18, and I can typically tell where a person is just based on this verse, 1 Corinthians 1.18, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. You see, you see the difference? So when I proclaim the, the cross, and, and once again, there are churches in the valley that don't preach the cross. They wouldn't preach a message like what we're preaching here this morning. And once again, Jesus would say, ah, that's pretty demonic. That's really demonic. And most people go, no, it's not. Oh, they're wonderful people. Well, I'm, I'm sure they probably are. The fact is, is it's not the truth. It's very destructive because they don't understand the cross. And it, and it becomes almost, the, the way they preach it or talk about it, it's folly to them. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Here's the next point in your notes. The cross is the greatest, this is why it's offensive. The cross is the greatest monument to our wickedness and utter inability to save ourselves. Now see, people don't want to hear that. So, so in the effort to draw the masses, we kind of play that one down. Don't want to talk about that. That's offensive. And yet that's what the cross is telling us. The cross is the greatest monument to our wickedness and utter inability to save ourselves. Romans 3.23, 6.23, make that pretty clear. See, our, our message and the gospel message is not, you can do it. You're good enough. You're smart enough. You're strong enough. Join people like yourself who want to win in life. Woo-hoo-hoo. Praise God. That's not the message of the cross. That's not the message of the gospel. See, the gospel is this. We are glorious image bearers of God gone tragically bad. And all of us have rebelled against the God who made us. All of us. All of us have rebelled against the God who made us. All human problems are ultimately symptoms and our separation from God is the cause. When you look at all the problems on this planet Earth, it's because we have become alienated from God because of our rebellion against God. But God did the most difficult and beautiful thing imaginable to win us back and lavish us with infinite and eternal love by sending his son to rescue us. Yeah, this baby born in Bethlehem, born in a manger that we celebrate, yes, was born to die for you and I. He came to give his life for us. The horror of killing the Son of God points to the horror 
of our condition. The shame, the scorn, the disrespect, the hurt he underwent, we deserved it. We deserved it. The gruesome death, Jesus died, and hell he endured, we earned it. That's why 2 Corinthians 5.21 is just a sweet verse. I don't have it on your notes. You can write that down. 2 Corinthians 5.21. He who knew no sin, Jesus, became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. Oh my goodness, that's amazing. The cross declares how dire our condition is apart from Jesus. It announces how deep our sin goes, how profound our rebellion is, how impossible our plight is without Christ rescuing us. There's nothing we can do, no effort we can exert, no law we can follow. Here's the next point on your notes. So this, is, this offends liberals by saying it's the only way, and it offends conservatives by saying that your best efforts aren't enough. I mean, it, it, it offends all of us. Whatever... Whichever end on the scale you are, it offends liberals by saying it's the only way. Liberals tend to have a, uh, a kind of a all roads lead to God kind of a mindset. Hey, just as long as you're sincere, and my question is always, so where do you draw the line? Does that involve also extreme Islamic terrorists like this couple there in San Bernardino? They're kind of in with the, with the groupies. They seem like they're pretty sincere. In fact, they're willing to give their life for, for what they did. So where do you draw the line there? And then, of course, uh, conservatives, it's about being, being good enough, but your best efforts aren't enough. So liberals think it's intolerant because it's too exclusive. Conservatives think it's too tolerant because it's too inclusive because you can be on death row and receive Christ and have all of the inherited blessings that someone who's never, you know, that, that has lived a really a good moral life. And so sometimes conservatives get a little bit bummed or bugged by that. Hey, wait a minute, I've lived a good life, and how dare them come in and get what I've got? Well, they don't understand their their wretchedness. They don't understand their sinfulness. It offends both liberal and conservative self-salvation schemes because that's what both of those are. Both liberals or conservatives, it doesn't matter their self-salvation schemes because they are both based on our pride, In self-salvation schemes, the good are in and the bad are out. Whatever the standard is, whether you be liberal or conservative, you have some sort of standard. You have some sort of criteria. And when the person meets it, hey, they're in. When they don't, they're out. So the good are in, bad are out. But the gospel is totally different. It doesn't say the good are in, the bad are out. It says what? Anybody? I've taught you this for a long time. The humble are in, the proud are out. The humble are in. The proud are out. It's pretty, pretty inclusive there. In self-salvation schemes, the good are in and the bad are out, but in the gospel, the humble are in and the proud are out. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. He didn't say a way. Of many ways, he said the way. Jesus also said in Matthew eleven twenty five, 25, he says, I thank you, Father, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding, that is the proud, and have revealed them to little children, the humble. Now, imagine this. Imagine your house is burning down. You got all your belongings out. You got all your kids out, all the things that uh, you must treasure. And uh, your neighbor comes up to you and says, hey, uh, uh, let me show you how much I love you. And he runs into your burning house and dies. 
do you, uh, do you look at him and say, oh, how wonderful, how he loved us? Would you say that? Of course not. You'd say, what an idiot. <laughs> Wouldn't you? You know, that doesn't make any sense. What the heck? Why'd you go, go in there? But let's just say that you got all your belongings out, but you have still a child left in that house. And your neighbor comes along and says, hey, I'll do it. I'll go in there. And your neighbor goes in there and saves your child at the expense of his life. He gives his life. What would you say? You'd say, amazing love. Amazing love. It tells us in Galatians 2.21, I do not nullify the grace of God for if righteousness... We're through the law. In other words, if we could somehow earn it by our right behavior, then Christ died for no purpose. In other words, we'd say, the cross, that's dumb. That doesn't make any sense because if I can earn it, I don't need Jesus. The fact is, though, you can't. Your house was burning down and you were inside and he came in and rescued you. See, that's, that's the gospel message. The cross is in is incredibly indispensable because there's no other way. And it's considerably costly. It was the Son of God, the Creator. Oh my goodness! The Creator came to this earth and rescued us. He gave His life for us. Man, that's crazy. That struck me a number of years ago, and I've never been the same. That went from my head to my heart, and oh my goodness, it rocked my world. And I just thought, man, why wouldn't I want to live my life for him? I've never been more loved. I've never had more joy. I've never experienced more peace in my life. It's just crazy. It's unbelievable. I mean, it's a gift you can't afford not to receive. It's a gift unlike you have ever received. Oh my goodness, it's the best gift of all. And all you need is need. That's it. You just got to recognize, man, I can't do this. I can't pull this off. Yes. God's working in your life. And, and the more desperate you are, the more on track you are. And the more in touch with reality you are. And, and that causes you to become more dependent upon him. And you're in the sweet spot of the Christian life and the fullness of life that he offers us. There's no earthly pleasure that compares to knowing and experiencing his boundless and irresistible love. I shared this at uh, Bob Jones' uh, funeral this last Friday, and I told everybody, I've been going on in, in less than two years, I will have been married for 40 years, and, um, and I love my wife dearly. I mean, man, I'm more in love with her now than ever before. And I know that uh, she's, I, I hope, she's in love with me that much too. <laughs> I kind of think so. And I've, I've experienced her love. I love her, you know, I love it when she loves me and I enjoy that. But that didn't come close to God's love for me. That's just a dim glimpse. You know that? I love my kids and I love my grandkids. And I love it when they love me back. But that's just a dim glimpse of his amazing love for us. Let me, let me say that again. There is no earthly pleasure that compares 
with knowing and experience his boundless and irresistible love. There's nothing like the love of Jesus demonstrated through the cross. It's pretty amazing. So once you understand the cross, how does it transform us? How does it transform us? Um, Verse 14, third part, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. So if you are boasting in the cross, the world has no power over you. This is really great psychology here. This is uh, welcome to our counseling class here this morning. And I'll walk you through a process of really how to kind of look at your life to see where you might be and how you can find healing for your own heart. But but, uh, if you are boasting in the cross, the world has no power over you. So let me ask you this. What, What does that mean to boast? What does boast mean? What does boast mean? It means to make much of. It really comes down to what are you living for? When life gets you down, what do you say to yourself to get yourself back up? Well, what, do you, what do you say to yourself? You, you say something. Sometimes we medicate. We do things because I can't bear the weight of, of not feeling good about life or about myself. So what are you living for? When life gets you down, what do you say to yourself to get yourself back up? When you're attacked, when you fail... How do you defend yourself to yourself? See, if God is most glorified in us, when we are most satisfied in him, then when we are most satisfied in him, we will be crucified to the world. So the key is about being most satisfied in him. Nothing in this world can phase you when that is true. See, I've heard people say this. Hey, I believed in God, I trusted God, and he didn't come through. How many of you have ever heard people say that before? Yeah, maybe you've said that. He didn't come through. Here's my answer. You only trusted God to meet your agenda. You missed God. The greatest gift of all is God. It's knowing God. It's walking with God. It's having him empower you with his presence. See, once you understand the cross, how does it transform you? When you find your deepest satisfaction in God, the world no longer has a hold on your life. Maybe you can relate to this story. I think we can all relate to the reaction of some soldiers in Afghanistan. A troop member received a Dear John letter. He was devastated. To add insult to injury, the girl wrote, Please return my favorite picture of myself because I'd like to use the photograph for my engagement picture in the county newspaper. Ouch! But his buddies came to his defense. They went through the barracks and collected pictures of all the others, other soldiers' girlfriends. They filled an entire shoebox. The jilted soldier mailed the photos to his ex-girlfriend with this note. Please find your enclosed picture and return the rest. For the life of me, I can't remember which one you were. (laughs) So retaliation has its appeal, doesn't it? You're like, yeah, baby. Retaliation has its appeal. 
But if you're boasting in the cross, the world has no power over you and you can overcome evil with good. The gospel frees us from the relentless pressure of having to prove ourselves and secure our identity in our work or in our relationships. It brings just to like, oh, my identity's in Jesus. I mean, you can face the worst failure, the worst relationship breakup, because you have him. Doesn't mean you're not gonna be sorrowful, but you're not gonna be in despair because you have him. He's more than enough. If the world has power over you, you have to ask yourself, what am I boasting in besides the cross of Jesus Christ? Galatians 6.13, it's part of our text. Did you notice that the false teachers, what were they boasting in? They, false teachers, desire to have you circumcised. So this is a works righteousness so that they may boast in your flesh. So what am I looking to, what am I looking to save me besides Jesus Christ? What is, what is my glory? What is your glory? What is your joy? What is your honor? What makes you inordinately anxious, angry, or depressed? What tends to inflate you? What tends to go to your head? What tends to deflate you, go to your heart? Those are good, great questions. Setting aside the possibility of physiological issues or chemistry issues, if you are crucified to this world, then it no longer controls you and can no longer make you inordinately anxious, angry, or depressed. That's what oftentimes I look at my own emotional well-being and what's going on, and I'll take it right back to the cross. Here's the next point. So how do you overcome that? How do you work through that? How do I overcome the world? I must regularly fill my heart with the beauty and the value of who Christ is and what he has done for me until my heart is rejoicing, resting, and relaxing its grip on anything else it thinks it needs. And how do you do that? Through spiritual disciplines. How many have ever been down in the dumps and you listen to a praise song and man, it lifts you to the heavens? Show of hands. How many have ever opened up the Bible instead of maybe trying to medicate yourself with something in this world? You go to the Bible and say, God, I need for you to speak to me today. And he speaks to you and it's amazing. And it lifts you to the heavens. Show of hands, how many have experienced that before? Oh my goodness, it's amazing. Or how many have gone to a small group and you're down in the dumps and you share with that small group and you got, you realize, you never realized it before, but now you realize, man, I've got people in my corner that are cheering me on, that love me, and it, it lifts you to the, to the heaven. That's what I'm talking about, where Christ becomes more real than the, than the trial or the temptation that you're facing. And I gave you uh, plenty of verses there to help you to see that, how to overcome the world. It's, it's through our faith. It's, it's about relationship with God. Let me uh, conclude um, with this story. This is from Tim Keller's book, The Prodigal God. It's a great story. kind of helps us to understand God's love for us. The band's going to come up behind me, and they're going to lead us in a final song as we can conclude our time together in this series. In this book, he writes, the acclaimed foreign film Three Seasons is a series of vignettes about life in post-Vietnam. One of the stories is about a high, a cyclo driver, a bicycle rickshaw, 
So high, H-A-I, and lawn, L-A-N, a beautiful prostitute. So high and lawn. Both have deep, unfulfilled desires. High is in love with lawn, but she is out of his price range. Lon lives in grinding poverty and longs to live in the beautiful world of the elegant hotels where she works, but in which she never spends the night. She hopes that the money she makes by prostitution will be her means of escape, but instead the work brutalizes and enslaves her. Then High enters a cyclo race and wins the top prize. And with the money, he brings, to, he brings Lon to the hotel. He pays for the night and pays her fee. Then to everyone's shock, he tells her he just wants to watch her fall asleep. Instead of using the power of his wealth to have sex with her, he spends it to purchase a place for her for one night in the normal world to fulfill her desire to belong. Lon finds such grace deeply troubling at first, thinking High has done this to control her. When it becomes apparent that he is using his power to serve rather than use her, it begins to transform her, making it impossible to return to a life of prostitution. Now, Tim Keller goes on and says this, Jesus Christ, who had all the power in the world, saw us enslaved by the very things we thought would free us. So he emptied himself of his glory and became a servant, Philippians 2. He laid aside the infinities and the immensities of his being and at the cost of his life paid the debt for our sins purchasing us the only place our hearts can rest in his father's house knowing he did this will transform us from the inside out as high's selfless love did for lawn why wouldn't you want to offer yourself to someone like this that's the grace of god it's the grace of god what's this series been about For freedom, Christ has set us free. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand with us as we celebrate that truth. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Don't forget, Christmas Eve services are 4 and 5.30. Get here early. This place will pack out. Next weekend, we're going to talk about a daring faith for 2016. We're going to look at how the spies went into the land to spy it out. And there were 10 that came back with a report of fear and two with a report of faith. We're going to learn what that means as we head into 2016. Let's sing this song and celebrate the grace that we have in our Savior.